Hello, welcome to Not A Game Podcast episode 28. I'm Craig Lager and with us today we've got Tom Hatfield. Hello. And Laura Dale. Hello. It's Valentine's Day today, so my Valentine's themed question for you both is, you can go on a candlelit dinner with any video game character to any video game town. Where are you going and who is? I I know who it is. It's it's Liara from Mass Effect. I don't know where we're going to go, but I'm going somewhere with Liara. But possibly there's there's a nice spot in Mass Effect in I think it's in Mass Effect Three, where it's this huge spot high up in the Citadel where you and Garrus go shooting things like essentially clay pigeon shooting. Oh, that is Just great. Up there, have a nice picnic up there overlooking the Citadel. It'd be lovely. Isn't that where they both get shot? Is that right? I don't think either of them gets shot <laughs> no, there. I, you haven't played the third Mass Effect anyway. So, oh, wait, no, I'm thinking of two. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, there's a bit where you yeah. just go, go skeet shooting and drinking with Garrus. It's really great. It's just yeah. Sounds terrible. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Um, I think it would be Jade from Beyond Good and Evil. Uh, but I don't know where I'd go. I'm suddenly... Not, I suddenly can't think of any awesome video game cities that aren't full of murderers. This is the mm. problem with video game cities. It'd be pretty exciting, though. That's true. Um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, they're also this, this video games are often so dystopic in nature. Yeah, yeah. Like you can't go to Kirkwall because there are teleporting assassins around every single corner. Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, the Citadel would be really good, actually, if that counts as a city. <laughs> I, I like the Citadel just because it's a nice, varied one. Mm. You think like you can't go for a meal in the Citadel? There's That's true. like uh, it's a bit big. Oh, do do you have to be like me and specify a place on the Citadel? <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose so. I guess you could go to that club and do the shepherd dance. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that is almost tempting. <laughs> That's probably my favourite nightclub in games. Although the one in Vampire is also good. <laughs> yeah, that is a good one. <laughs> um, I no, I I tell you what, I would go to. I I would go to Sim City. Mm. Ah. Um, specifically the recent Sim City with the expansion, so it's all crazy future city where everyone's like in mega towers and drones flying around. Okay. <laughs> Sounds pretty <laughs> <Okay. fun. laughs> I, I can't complain. It sounds like a fun night. Though it would be, it would be tricky when they reached the end of a day and whoever was running the restaurant um, quit their job, went to the nearest house. <laughs> and some topical SimCity jokes there. <laughs> yeah, bleeding edge of game journalism. <laughs> what about you, Craig? Um, I, I don't know. I'm thinking that I'd probably like to go somewhere with Max Payne just to see how (laughs) dramatic it would turn out. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. I'm not sure where. You know what happens? I'm not sure he's the best person to go for a romantic evening with considering what happens to everyone he romances. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Oh, I see see where I would like to go, actually. Um, Divinity's Reach in Guild Wars 2. That is a really lovely city. That is quite nice. That is very nice. I don't know. I think I just want to go to like. I guess I'm manipulating the question a bit now, though, because I just like to go out drinking at night with Max Payne and just like drink whiskey in a really like horrible bar for about four hours and then go home. 
Well, you can, you can go. That? There's got to be good bars, bars in games somewhere. You, you can go to the bar in Jazz Punk where you get served things that I'm pretty sure are not edible substances. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that I'm, I'm, I'm sure Max Payne would drink those. He'd What's the most horrible bar? Awesome. I think. Oh, um, hmm. horrible bar. That's a tricky one. Um, There's a horrible bar in Max Payne 1. We'll just go there. Sorted. Yeah. Exactly. N- nice and nearby for him. Mm. Good. There's a pretty shitty bar in Skyrim. That'd be good. And then I could wander around Skyrim too. Hmm. Cool. Are you just picking your location now on? I I just want to I would go like to, that to go place. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I was I mentioned Divinity Reach actually because I've started playing Guild Wars 2 again recently. Um mm-hmm. slept back into it over the weekend. Um and I kind of stopped at around uh level forty or fifty and started pushing on a little bit further, at which point I realised, man, that is a really pretty game. There are some amazing areas in there, but you yeah. don't you don't always see them from the start. Like when you hit, a, there's this, they've nicely tuned it with the geography of the area. So when you hit about forty or fifty, you go into all these areas. That, there's this huge like scar across the landscape where I think a dragon crash landed, and <laughs> this is just this huge trench. And by huge, I mean like it goes through multiple full-size MMO zones. Wow. Um, and it's like full of this sort of weird purple crystal and all the creatures in there are kind of mutated. And when you go inside, it kind of turns to uh, this weird um, twilight look in the sky with the weird purple aurora borealis. And like all the, all the, all the like level 40-ish areas will probably be the first time you see that because there will mm. just be a different places around it. But there'll be the, around that, uh, the, They've actually managed to tune it, so when you hit that point, assuming you're adventuring in the appropriate area, because you can just hang around in lower level zones, you'll just you'll you will be the first time you want to go, you wander in and go, whoa, what the hell is this thing? <laughs> um, and there's also a giant crystal dragon that you can fight in there. <laughs> I, see, I actually love it when games do that, where it's you you level up enough to a point where you suddenly start seeing things that you just don't see anywhere else in the game, and it's just sort of. Oh yeah, everything you knew about the game, forget it. The, the, everything's like this now. Hmm. I Actually, like... that's it. Um, oh, sorry, that's just reminded me that uh, Ankara's recommendation. I was playing a dark room as well, which is like an entire game made out of that. It's similar to Candy Box. I don't know if you saw that. It, which is, you know, it's like. Uh, well, she described it already in the last podcast, but it's basically like a text adventure that turns into a city building game that turns into an ASCII RPG. Hmm. Was this was that the one where she was making the fire and then building the house around the fire and people were trying to come in? Yeah, yeah. You just start with yes. just the ability to like light a fire and that's all you can do. And then someone turns up who it turns out can build stuff. And then you start building houses and then it becomes like this little sim village. And then you where then you can like buy a compass from a traveler and suddenly you can go out traveling. That's really cool. Oh, I'm kind of spoiling the game by saying that, but I feel like I have to in order to pers- persuade people to. Because if I just tell them that it's just a thing that all you all it says at the beginning is light fire, no one's going to play it. Yeah. <laughs> um, with Guild Wars Two, hmm. I'd quite like to go back to it. I think, but at the same time, I remember getting quite fed up with it because of the MMO combat, which really bugs me. See, uh, it was never a huge problem with me because it is pretty fast paced for MMO combat and it has quite a lot of impact that said yeah. you, you, you do find yourself using the same ability over and over again for a long time mm. same cycles of three things basically 
Um, and that never really changes, but there's a lot of reactive stuff. Like a lot of the good MMO boss stuff is is stuff that you run into w- earlier on than you would in most MMOs, I think. Yeah, I miss the pace of stuff like that. Mm. Um, like the ability, just being able to like go into a game and sort of hang about for a bit, or like to go look at the scenery and go explore for a while. And MMOs are, are amazing for that, and I think that's the same reason I why think it's one of into... the best exploration games. Partly because they have that whole mechanic where like each zone has a bunch of viewpoints scattered around and you go in there and you get like a proper like 3D uh, a proper like camera pan across the zone and then yeah, yeah. you get experience for it um which is great i kind of wish skyrim had that actually now that mm. i think about it i think it's just a shame when it falls back on the mmo things of like going back and like everybody waiting outside a dungeon and things like that and yeah. the fighting being a bit shit and uh... See, I'm, I'm starting to learn those again. Having not played MMOs for a very long time, I've just started trying to get back into Final Fantasy XIV, and suddenly I'm realising, oh yes, M- the MMO parts of MMOs really annoy me. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no, you, you played quite a lot of WoW when you were younger. I remember, I, you know, yeah. I read your Guardian article recently, which was really interesting. Hooray, yeah, I was on the Guardian, woo. <laughs> but yeah, I used to play a lot of R- uh, RPGs, a lot of MMOs, since then, I've kind of gone off to, to RPGs, and I'm trying to get back into MMOs. And I love. I kind of social... feel like everyone used to play a lot of MMOs, which makes me wonder who the hell's yeah. playing. <laughs> I don't know, but apparently a lot of people. Yeah. But no, I, I got back into Final Fantasy XIV, and the first thing I realized was, ah, the combat I'm doing is click, 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 and just keep pressing the same button or clicking on the same thing for a while. I was like, uh... it was, I think fixes a lot of the problems I have with MMOs, but it definitely doesn't fix all of them. Like, I still find myself cycling between my three primary skills a lot. Although I do I, I do love the fact that like one of my main skills just bounces projectiles back, so I get to do the Zelda boss thing whenever I feel like it. Mm. Um, which is still fun after, like, 50-odd hours. <laughs> uh, because there's so much variation in what the, uh, in what the enemies throw at you. Um, but yeah, the, uh, there's still that, and... I haven't really done the dungeons at all for exactly the reason you're talking about because I don't want to queue outside. I don't want to team up with randoms. Ideally, I want to team up with five of my friends to do it. Yeah. Um, Who are you actually playing with, Tom? I was playing with uh, Phil and Tom. We both uh, they both um, started playing again over the weekend, but they're level eighty and I'm level sixty, so I've just been right. dragging them down, forcing yeah. them to go around all these peon zones. I was just going to say, I've got that exact same problem at the moment in that I found a group of people willing to play with me, but I'm currently like level 15 or something and they're at the level cap and I'm just like, okay, just carry me around a bit so I can get some levels, please. (laughs) That is one thing that Guild Wars handles really well from what I remember. Yeah, it automatically levels people down to the area and gives them appropriate loot for their level. So it's always, you're always, you know, it's always appropriately challenging and you get an appropriate gear no matter where you're adventuring. I'm actually quite tempted to reinstall it if you fancy doing that, Tom. Yeah, sure. Um, we're all on the Desolation server, I think. Oh, fuck. Can I move a character from one server to another? You can guest in other people. It's another nice thing about MMOs that's always frustrating that they fixed is you can um, guest in other people's things. The only thing you can't do is play the World v. World stuff. Oh, okay. Um, cool. Yeah. Fine. Because yeah. that stuff was horrible anyway, so fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, and there's, uh, there's loads of you, once you get to around 50 or 60, you start running into those cool um, world bosses, these giant ones that just appear every now and again. And there's a website that um, Phil directed me to, which is really useful, which just tracks, you put in your server name and it tracks when they appear. So you just have this opening in the window, you go, oh, like in 10 minutes, the giant marionette is going to attack. <laughs> <laughs> the giant marionette is one of the recent events, and it's 
amazing. It's like this. You get like these three lanes. It's um, of which uh, various people group up, and then you get attacked by waves of enemies whilst you defend yourselves. And then each one will have it a, sent, a, a turn where they the enemies stop and they leap through a portal and fight a boss and disconnect one of the chains of the marionette. And like you have to do that five times, I think. And if one of the lanes misses, then um, then the next one has to uh, uh, then you know lane one will have to go again at the end. Um, but there'll be this constant stream, so every time someone misses, it's like, oh god, we can't hold on. <laughs> it's really <laughs> sad. wow. And all that is just like none of that required any like complex guild organization or anything. It was just like um, it's just like Phil said, oh, the marionette's going to appear here in a bit, and we just wandered up there and ran into a bunch of other players of varying levels and fought the marionette. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, Laura, what have you been playing? I've been playing... What have I been playing this week? I, I played through Jazz Punk. That was a game. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, um, I played the IGF build of it, but uh, not the full one, and it looks pretty crazy. I'll I put it this way. I really love the humour, mm. and like all of the things you can go off the beaten track and do are wonderful, and there's a lot of really sort of crazy, amusing things going on. The only problem I had with it is the ending just kind of came out of nowhere and felt really... It felt like a joke that just was the one missed joke in the game was the ending. Mm. So they basically trying to do the the Monty Python foot stomp ending of oh it's gone. Pretty much, they were trying to do the ah here's the ending bam, and it that one joke didn't hit and it left me with a really sort of disappointed end note on that game. But everything up to that point, like all of the humor, all of the characters, all of the worlds it creates, I think they're wonderful. It's just a case of that ending really, really annoyed me. Mm-hmm. No, it can get to you if a game just ends unsatisfied, especially, I suppose, if it's an abrupt one, it, it almost feels like it, the experience has been cut short. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly for a game like that, that it's not the shortest game, but it's fairly short. Mm. Like, it felt like there was another, like, I assumed there was going to be another mission or another level at the end that just never quite came. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll go away. That was nice. Thank you, Jazz Punk. <laughs> mm. It's definitely going to get tagged with the too short team Steam tag. <laughs> oh, no, we're not doing Steam tags. Come on. What, we're not doing Steam tags? Oh. No, let's move on. <laughs> oh, that's so awful. I, I, yeah, okay, we won't talk about them, but I will link people to actual Steam tags because that, that, that site's amazing. There are some pretty terrifying ones out there. Oh, well, you know what, though? I did see a really cool thing earlier, which I think is the Steam database people have done it. And um, you go to a web page, and it comes up with about six Steam tags and three games underneath it, and you have to guess which game (laughs) is from the the Steam tags. Now, that I like. That's cool, actually. Yeah, it's fantastic. Someone did make the suggestion to me with Steam Tags that the way to find new cool games on Steam for a very limited period of time was to go on Steam Tags and search Pretentious, because there were a lot of really good games in there. Well, not a game, in fact, which is the official Steam Tag of the podcast. (laughs) Not a a game would probably bring up some good results. Is that all our officially recommended video games? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it turns out it wasn't a slate against Gone Home at all. <laughs> it was just a viral marketing campaign gone horribly wrong. <laughs> it is actually, we've talked about most of them on the podcast as well, because it is like Gone Home, dearest, the Stanley Parable. Yeah. yeah, no, we won't do, I, We won't go into them, but because um, they've probably have changed or stopped working by the time we get this out, because there's no way they're going to leave 
games listed yeah. under Jews did 9-11 on the front page yeah. of Steam. You, We've you got can now... We're in too you deep can, I was going to say, you can now report them, so, you know, oh, that's hopefully that's that will that's... limit it. Is everybody, I tell you but what, that's the thing, you can, there's never anyone on the other end at Steam, is there? That's the problem. When you, whenever you like put in a support claim or report something, you, there's, I don't know how much staff they have on the other end, but it doesn't seem like many. I would assume you probably just hit a number of, comp- of complaints oh, yeah, probably. the tag and it will probably go. Here's a quick game that we can do, actually. If everybody's got Steam open, please read out what tags recommended for you by Steam. Oh, God. Oh, I'll open Steam up and have a look. <laughs> We Where do I edit. find my recommended tags? There's a if you go into the store, there's the new yeah. for you bit at the top. Yeah. Ah. It's uh, tags recommended for you. Adventure indie multiplayer FPS sandbox. Oh, I'm quite boring. Mm, quite boring. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've got survival indie FPS strategy RPG. So that's all the big genres just covered in survival. <laughs> Survival is a genre now. We did. I, I helped out with um, PC gamers like games of 2014 thing, which has rough groupings because you know genres are bullshit. But mm. we ended up having a whole bloody page separately for survival and horror games because that's how big they are now. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy how big. Like it's exploding. Like, yeah, I mean, like that's as many. There's like as many as there were platforms. Yeah, <laughs> it's good though. Which oh wait, after Laura told her the tags, I'm gonna segue into a video game actually if you go to the full list i have some of the more interesting ones apparently i i didn't think i played that many adventure games but it keeps telling me like my one of my top five are both adventure and point and click oh wow. I, 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 found, I, found, <laughs> I found my i found my tags mm. okay. comedy indie adventure surreal exploration <laughs> oh nice they're pretty interesting I think they're pretty much all on jazz punk aren't they <laughs> on my extended list I've got um, permadeath, post-apocalyptic, <laughs> walking simulator, and zombies. Uh, apparently, I have Kickstarter on mine, uh, and casual. Um, I'm looking at the the games it's recommending me, and it's actually recommending me things that I've played off of Steam that I do really quite like. So that's probably a good sign for yeah. for their tagging system being vaguely okay. Yeah. Well, if you click on the yeah, the click on recommended by Steam, it just tells me things on my wish list, which is kind of cheating. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the only about... person who recommends games is Tom Francis. Just <laughs> 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 <is> all him. <laughs> my my list, my extended list, definitely reads um, definitely reads like a list of someone that runs an indie site. Um, <laughs> interestingly, though, I have one that I don't recognise. This as a genre. Get good. Or die trying. <laughs> with with that Wait, kind of punctuation. I know who's done that. Who's, I've seen somebody do that. It's G-I-T-G-U-D or die trying with an apostrophe. I remember yes. somebody posting a screenshot of them tagging something with that. <laughs> what, what's the... What, what games are in it? Um, Octodad, Dark Souls, Metal Gear Revengeance. Um, <laughs> what else is in there? Let's Sing. <laughs> It's a really weird mix of games. The only tag I've added myself is play for fun on Counter-Strike. <laughs> on, um, so, this might be a really boring podcast section. I'm sorry if it is, but you, your friend's tags. Okay, listed here. Somebody's put uh, Nepotism Simulator, 
Um, dead hookers. Crusader Kings. <laughs> swooping is bad. Child trafficking simulator and Brendan Cough. <laughs> oh, I, I think that's Brendan Keo. Keo, yeah, okay. <laughs> is that the okay. day? He's a he's a journalist. He wrote a novel about spec ops. Oh, um, right. So I'm guessing someone put it on spec ops. A novel? Uh, I mean, a book, okay. obviously. Uh, right. Let's talk about a video game. Um, I've been playing post-apocalyptic turn-based permadeath game Neo Scavenger. <laughs> Steve knows you so well. <laughs> and it's really, really good. And oh, man, I have to bring the key tag as well. <laughs> Sorry, this is this turned out to be way more fascinating than I thought. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. Isn't it? <laughs> so, um, Neo Scavenger is like it's like a. Um, a mini turn-based daisy, I suppose, and like you start with literally nothing, um, and then have to, well, just scavenge things and and survive. But it it'll happily like give you infections and make you starve to death and die of thirst and have bandits kill you and stuff. Um, and it's very very difficult. Um, but what is probably the most interesting thing about it well not the most interesting but one of the interesting things is how absolutely fucking brutal it is with its combat and it's all text-based the combat um and but like you you can see like the systems like it plays a bit like a choose your own adventure Mm -hmm. but with uh the combat stuff you sort of tell it what action you want to do and you have like and it's it's based on context and, and all this stuff um but for an example, one of my fights the other day ended with me um, hitting somebody in the head with a crowbar, then falling them to them falling to the ground, and then me kicking them to death. Um, but as you're like kicking them, it tells you everything that's happening to them. So like I started oh, coughing so. up blood, and <laughs> I broke his ribs, and it's like it's, like it gets really depressing because you just keep kicking this guy to death. And it tells you how like how bad is it? and then like he blacks out and you just keep kicking him and then he can wake up and kick him some more that sounds like a horrible back. horrible game it is it's fucking brutal <laughs> um but like, the, but the bandits and stuff will do the same to you and to each other and also like this is just in the very um like the opening sections and as you get further into it there's like mutants and like the monsters and stuff and it's it's horrible and but fantastic um, reminds me a lot of Zomboid in Pace, but I think it's a lot tighter. So that's a good game that everybody should play. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I'm very much your sort of thing. Uh, yeah. is, is this is it single player or multiplayer? Um, it's single player. It, but um, it feels quite a lot like multiplayer because of how much, uh, like how the AI is handled because they're very. Each AI is very independent. It's not you're not the center of it. They all have their own agendas and they're going for their own things. Oh, yeah. so, uh, that reminds me of kind of like a lot of the original ideas for Stalker, where the, yeah. there'd be little stalkers in the world wandering around doing their own thing. Yeah, it's it's very much like that. Um, like they follow um, footprints and stuff like that around. And it's weird because they do all this stuff and it's turn based, and you can't. It's very difficult to describe and picture how it works, but it all ties together very well. And I think it's even more difficult to think about when you realise that so much of it is just text-based um, or like just done with icons. But it has full systems in there for like scavenging 
and um, like exploring and having fights and like the day night cycle, this day night cycles and everything. Everything is modeled. It's it's amazing, and I think um, it gets a lot of that. Well, it makes a lot of that possible for the same reason that Dwarf Fortress does, in that with not having to worry about graphics and animations and things, they can just put in features and iterate them and make them good very very quickly. But I, well, I say they. It's done by one guy, which is fantastic. I was actually I actually played a choose your own adventure book this week mm. <laughs> to segue a little, uh, which was Hamlet to be or not to be Hamlet a choose your own adventure. By I have Ryan. played that. It's so good. It's amazing. It? <laughs> it's perfect. It's ah. Uh. Yeah, it's kind of a slightly critical take on Hamlet by Ryan North, who does dinosaur comics. Oh, amazing! <clears throat> and yeah, you. Sorry, you go ahead, Laura. I was just going to say, yeah, it's basically every time that there's a major choice in Hamlet, or even a minor one, it's like, hey, do you want to go outside and like look at and watch out for ghosts, or do you want to stay inside and do nothing tonight? <laughs> sort of like all these very bizarre micro choices that take you on very weird paths through yeah. Hamlet. And like, if you um. Because obviously, as like most choose your adventures, it's very easy to die and fail. But it's also very easy to accidentally succeed and just quite competently murder your uncle. Unlike Hamlet, <laughs> you have to do a lot of dumb things to actually progress the plot of Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually, that is something it does really well. Is it does highlight a lot of the just utter stupidity of some of the actions of some of the characters. Yeah. It's like, he's quite an old man. You could probably just kill him right now. No, I'm going to put on a play to expose him. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's really fun. And um, it's, it's really... It has... Um, is the only thing you choose your adventure? I, I, have, really, I, I haven't played them since I was a kid. But it also has character selection. You can choose to play as Hamlet, Hamlet Senior, or Ophelia. <laughs> yeah, I, I've not seen that in any others. Um, la- last time I played one was... Um, I think it was How to Survive a Zombie Apocalypse. And the re- the re- the end result was that I got stoned on a roof with someone and got rescued by the army. So I think I got out of that pretty okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, yeah, it's it's really fun and does a lot of things. I think my fa- I played I've played through it a few times because it's so easy to die. Um, because I started decided to play as Hamlet Senior at the start, and surprise, surprise, you instantly become a ghost. Your choices have gone quite limited. Uh, <laughs> But I, I think my favourite one was when you just like, uh, I, where I d- very deliberately did the plot of Hamlet for like half the thing, which, and it just, it really like, it's like the Stanley Parable of Two Short Adventures, because it totally mocks you and uh, criticises you for just trying to actually play, do the play as, as it happens. <laughs> and then, but once you get back, but you kind of have to do that for like half of it to get some really interesting choices. Um, like if you play along all the way until Hamlet sets sail for England, then you get to like have an awesome fight with pirates and take over their ship. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's really recommended. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, someone, I still haven't played made... a lot of it as well. I haven't played most of the Ophelia stuff yet. Yeah, someone someone made a really good point to me the other day. They were talking about the fact that people talk about choose your own adventure video games and the problem with them, you know how none of them branch out like the books do and again it's that thing of just um like you were saying with dwarf fortress and those sort of games where when you don't have to create art and things you can just go off in all kinds of crazy directions Hmm. and i i like that sort of thing about choose your own adventure books and then to an extent sort of like the twine versions of those that you can just be like hey we don't have to funnel you back into a set point you can actually branch off into really bizarre endings 
I think my favorite, one of my favorite bits was what I'd love to see in the games of time where. Like once you, once I got my pirate ship and took it up and parked it in front of the castle and yelled at the king to come out, <laughs> he said, "Well, I'm going to go over there and fight him. I'm going to load myself into the cannon." And the, the, <laughs> there's a bit where he just goes, "The next, the next like choice fate is just like, okay, real talk. I haven't really checked with you beforehand, but how realistic do you want this adventure to be? <laughs> 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 your choices are only your finally, finest realism, sir. At which point you explode." <laughs> Uh, or uh, let's just uh, or man don't stop the fun train man <laughs> and then it, just absurd bit where you fly across the, the where you shoot yourself in a cannon kill the king and then um, discover the secret discover how to cure cancer and a bunch of other incredibly improbable things <laughs> immediately <laughs> happen <laughs> mm, oh, it's, uh, that's really funny <laughs> I, see, I think if I remember right that was a kickstarter book I think and um, mm. the, I'm trying to remember but I think they've got they want to do other books from the Shakespeare Oh yeah. Also, it's got like Library. every every death is illustrated by uh, <gasps> and by a bunch of different artists as well. Uh, Kate Beaton does some of them. I can't remember the others, unfortunately. Um, I think a lot of webcomic artists contributed to it. Um, so that was really cool. I think that was one of the, yeah. I think it was a Kickstarter, and that was one of their stretch goals or something. Yeah, I'm trying to find it now. I think it was because I want to find what the. Uh, I remember someone saying that they're working on another one, and I want to find out which one they're doing next. But again, my internet has times of evening where it decides to be stupid. I think everyone's internet has those times. Uh, yes, it was a Kickstarter. And they are working on more more of these books, but they have not said which the next one is, which I thought they had. Oh, well, if the next one goes up, I'll definitely support it because I really enjoyed this. <laughs> definitely. It is rather wonderful. They, they, got, they were after $20,000. They got $580,000. Well done, them. <laughs> Uh, do we have any more games that we want to talk about from uh, this week? Or we've got a lot of questions we could go through. I think some of them would be quite long. Uh, sure. I was just I'm gonna, I was going to quickly talk about... I, um, this is the, the bit of the podcast that comes around you know, once every couple of weeks where Tom talks about pen and paper RPGs and no one else play, has played them. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but I played uh, One Last Job by Grant Howitt, who's um, a game journalist who makes RPGs on the side. Um, this is his second one, I think. <laughs> This first one was called Warrior Poet, and it was a game of competitive haiku making. Hmm. Uh, one last job is uh, again, it's like a heist kind of game, which you play a bunch of career criminals who um, all hate each other now because of a job that went wrong, and are all a little bit past their prime. Um, and the cool idea about it is that you don't get to create your character; everyone else creates it by um, telling you anecdotes about yourself. Huh. That, yeah. <laughs> Which is really interesting. Like, for instance, you'll you one of the classic ones is you fail a roll, and you, um, uh, which you you'll start off with like, as it uses a dice pool thing. So you'll start off just rolling like a default two dice or something, and you fail a roll. You you like you're losing in a fight. And one of the other characters goes, "Man, I can't believe you're losing this fight. I once saw you take out three armed policemen with just a toothpick for a shiv." <laughs> and then you get that down written down as a legend, and then you get to re-roll your dice with an extra dice in the pool. And huh. the inter- uh, yeah, and the, your entire backstory is basically filled out that way. Um, you st- I think you start off with a vague you um, you start off with a vague name and a description of what uh, of what kind of criminal you are, basically. But that's that's also done by other players even before the game begins. And then the whole thing builds up as it went along. So when we played it, we ended up with this ridiculous farcical attempt to uh, steal data from MI5. But we also constructed an equally farcical backstory about that one time in Blackpool where everything went wrong. Um, 
where uh, we went up against the Russian mob and everything went wrong and the boss had to fake his death by jumping off Blackpool Tower. <laughs> <laughs> and all, none of which was established at the beginning. It's just things we kept adding to that legend as we went along. Um, and then, yeah, there's other things as well. Like You can do a similar thing with a uh, piece of equipment uh, and with, like, uh, you can give people... Uh, have the opposite of scars, which is kind of the opposite. They'll take dice away from your roll, but you get a bunch of... Um, points that you can spend to do things for for accepting one and yeah it's uh so and again nothing is established until if it's not been established yet and it, someone declares it true then no one said that you had two eyes you might have lost one in a bar fight previously <laughs> and but you won't know that until someone tell until someone you know announces that to enable you to automatically succeed in a role but be you know have trouble seeing from now on so it's really interesting, um, and it's pay what you want as well. Um, so I'll put a link to it in the post. Uh, I'll probably write something up for my RPG site about it. Uh, but I want to play another game first because we kind of got a few of the rules wrong the first time round. Um, but it's he- hearing hearing that it's pay what you want, I'm definitely going to have to give that a go. That yeah. does sound very interesting. Yeah, um, the tricky part about it, the, the, uh, with this, it's a, it feels like an annoyingly minor criticism, but. It works on pools of D10 dice, and not most people aren't going to ah. have 15 D10 dice. Thankfully, nowadays we all have smartphones, and there's loads of apps for rolling dice. But um, so it's not a huge problem, but um, it is kind of awkward. <laughs> do you want to do questions from Twitter? Uh, yes, yes, we'll do questions, but I want to pick um, do one out of sequence because uh, Ben has asked a question that would relate to a game that I've been doing this week that I would quite like to talk a little bit about. Sure. Um, so Ben asked quite a um, well in response to me saying that I just uh, finished a race on iRacing saying that I've got quite sweaty and he said sweaty really this can be my podcast question um, so in answer to that uh, yes genuinely um, so iRacing is uh, a, a very I'm going to put this in air quotes a very hardcore um sim racing game and um so i've been doing earlier today i did a half hour with a, a couple of hours of practice before that and um to race that and to do that practice um i set up all this stuff um which involves uh, a force feedback steering wheel which is quite strong um a, a pedal set where, which the brake is is called a load cell pedal, which means you have to push hard onto it um, to make <laughs> it. Send us a photo of your racing setup. <laughs> I'll I'll do that for this. So you can go to the notes for this podcast. But, but so basically, it works like a real brake pedal on a car, and that the harder you push it, rather than it just working on how far you've pushed it. Um, so that takes quite a lot. And then there's a gear stick, which um, has it, it's fully made of steel. And if you crank that up to its full stiffness, I can barely get it into gear. It's, it's so hard to push. Craig, um, I feel like you might have spent more on your fake car than on your real car. Not quite. <laughs> this just got quite expensive, though. It, I'll, well, in, I'll tell you. I was going to say, in my mind, you're, you're essentially rebuilding the Steel Battalion huge controller, just trying to build all these things around you. I would, yeah, I'd love to do that. That'd be amazing. Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you, the, the pedals were 150 quid, the gear stick was 200, and the wheel was 
I think, 230 So it's quite expensive, but it's very, very good. That That is more than the Steel Battalion thing. I no longer have to feel bad, bad about the fact that is in my house. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then you're like doing that for an amount of time. And then also, and this is really stupid and pathetic, but this is what happens because of like the stress and the pressure that gets me quite agitated and worked up as well so that doesn't help so at the end of it i'm like genuinely very sweaty and horrible no i can uh, imagine how it, i can imagine how it would get to you because i mean you're literally gripping onto the wheel it's like um i and to be honest i have a terrible problem with doing that when i play like um with a controller more so than a mouse because of the way you grip onto it when you're tense you end yeah. up with really sweaty buffs <laughs> Yeah, well, like, imagine that, but then you've got to fight against it as well, because obviously it's it's force feedback and it's quite strong. So when you're trying to keep it under control and the car's trying to slide out on you, you've got to physically force it back in line, um, which is quite tough. Um, And and yeah, like, the the pressure too is, is crazy because you're doing, like, this half hour race, but if you like fuck up one thing that's it it's over and it's also over for whoever you crash into and they're going to be for one really annoyed and it's quite a small community on iRacing and it uses your full name on it so people can find you easily (laughs) and it also tracks your um your safety rating so if you keep having accidents it won't let you race the faster cars. It's a high pressure environment. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant! I love the idea of refusing. No, sorry, you can't handle this. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's like it's an amazing system because, like, it's it's an expensive thing it's to like do, a right? Leveling system. Yeah, it, it basically is. Um, but it stop because when you start out, you have access to the slower cars because the theory is that that's all you'll be able, that's all you'll be good enough to drive, and it works really well because that is all you're good enough to drive until you get better at it to be able to race the faster cars so like and by the time you're racing the faster cars you'll have spent more money on like subscription fees and cars and tracks so then if you get twats coming in and just crashing into you it's a waste of your money and it's fucking irritating when because they schedule the races so like the, the class that i'm in now there's only a race every two hours so like you get ready for that and you prepare for that and then you crash in turn one and that's fucking infuriating so <laughs> That's, that's actually pretty awesome. Um, the idea of having so, so it's basically like a persistent league system, kind of like StarCraft. But you have you get there'll be a race you can join every couple of hours, and it'll be like yeah. a scheduled event as if it was a real like driver career. Yeah, exactly. Because like it, it makes sure that because of the there's a lot of other like racing sims that don't have that system, and then you basically everybody like there are a lot there are a lot more prone to people prontage of people crashing into you and it's a lot more disorganized whereas like with this you go on it and you know what the car's going to be you know and they run like they they run car seasons for i think 12 weeks and then over that 12 weeks every week they'll do a different track so then you know like and you can see all the scheduling in advance so you know like this week i'm going to be racing this car and this track and you can get ready to do that and then you know like a quarter to eight there's going to be this race and then you you join it and you do it so like it's all you know very fucking serious for computer games, but it's fantastic. So um, yeah, that's that's why I'm sweaty after racing cars. <laughs> I can imagine. Cool. Um, I was going to ask. Let's do the ones that we uh, didn't answer from last week. I guess first. Um, so, 
<coughs> Ed Sternas, if you could magically buy with money that was itself magic, any game IP and give it to any studio uh, or platform, which? Nintendo's best things and give them to people <laughs> that aren't Nintendo. <laughs> oh, I'd love like... to give Zelda to From Software. That'd be amazing. <gasps> now, see, that was going to be one of my suggestions, but like, oh, sorry. like, no, 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 that's fine. Um, oh, what was the other one I had? I had another. Oh. The other one I had was um, the upcoming Wii U RPG X. I would love to give that to anyone that is not Nintendo. Just anyone that's not Nintendo. Because... I think a lot of people would like Bayonetta to be on any other platform. Mm. Uh, I think it's a pretty good general theme. If it's on Nintendo, we want to give it to people that are not Nintendo. Right? Actually, no, yeah. I would take Nintendo and give them to someone else. <laughs> not that I have anything against Nintendo. But I who who would... Who would you give Nintendo to? I'm I'm very right. curious who you would have run Nintendo. I don't know. If I gave them to Sony, then I could just buy one handheld and it would have all the handheld games on. That would be pretty awesome. On the other hand, I'm don't not sure anyone should have that much power. <laughs> they they shouldn't. But if they did, I wouldn't be complaining. Um, a Sony a, a Sony that owned all of Nintendo's properties that would I would be happy with that. I would quite like to take Alpha Protocol and give it to Telltale. Because uh, I like. Why would you give anything to Telltale? Well, uh, okay, that is a bit of a gamble at the moment because they they do put out a lot of a lot of games, and only a few are. The, well, only one is The Walking Dead. Yeah. But I like the idea. I think it would suit that style of game. Um, the entirely mm. conversation thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, as opposed to making it a full sized RPG, just a spy game that was all about dialogue would be pretty awesome. You, why don't you give it to old LucasArts, but existing <laughs> now? Well, the money is itself magic, so if it could resonate. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Like, I'd like to or, take... Or Double Fine, which is probably the closest thing. Mm. <laughs> I'd like to take um, Hitman and give it to old IDOS, and take Dice and give it to old EA. <laughs> I, I've actually got one. I would like to take Banjo-Kazooie and give it back to Nintendo. That's the one thing I would give back to Nintendo. <laughs> mm. What I missed the Banjo Kazooie games. Jesus. I miss um, rare games. The I last thing they, they did good. was another Connect adventure type thing. Um, they did the dancing, the the Connect Star Wars, where you had to dance to Star Wars parody songs. The, uh... I mean, there must be a story there because I mean, like they did Goldeneye, Perfect Dark, Banjo Kazooie, um, Jet Force Gemini, and like now what? They're just nothing. I think it's that a lot of people that were there in the Nintendo days left either when they were bought by Microsoft or very shortly after. Oh, that's why people they got bought by Microsoft. Yeah, oh. the people they were bought by... Well, sorry, yeah, the people that left when they were bought were not the people who we remember making amazing things. Mm. That's always a shame. Um, I feel like I should take Dungeon Keeper and give it to someone, but I honestly don't know who. And someone else who really does maybe uh, introversion seems to be the only people who can do that or bullfrog thing nowadays. Yeah, yeah, introversion would be a good chat actually, I think. Um, but there's not. It's a surprise. I've always felt like those things, given the the resurrection of so many other like uh, you know retro i game ideas, the the bullfrog management sim hasn't really come back, and I quite like it too. I'd quite like to give. Um, Hitman to uh, Clint Hawking, and also Far Cry back to Clint Hawking <laughs> because he makes such good games. Now, see, I, I'd quite like to see Bioware take the Metroid series 
That would be quite interesting, actually. I, mm. I, I like the thought of people that have a proven track record of being able to create awesome, expansive universes in space and some actual character depth and taking one of the Nintendo characters that I think has the most potential to be really interesting, but that they've completely fucked up so bad in the past. Mm. So I'd like to see someone like Bioware take them. Can I, I'm going to ask a question without an agenda. Mm. Is Bioware still good now that those two guys have left? Uh, Well, they haven't put out a game since then, so no one can know for sure, I guess. I think they still are. I think that... And also considering Dragon Age 2 and Mass Effect 3. Mass Effect 3 was great. I, for all of the problems that it did have, I still love Mass Effect 3. I think that, um, it's hard to tell within a company how, you know, internal politics stuff, we can't only really guess at. I mean, Mass Effect was really led by, obviously, Casey Hudson was a lot of the leading force to that. But then again, a lot of people are questioning, like, how much, even if they didn't have input into the games, which they well might well have, whether the bio, having the Biodox as a strong figurehead um you know gave them more control than they would with who someone else in charge they might get more interfere with with EA but then I sometimes I think that EA doesn't interfere with studios as much as people think they do mm. um uh, I I'm quietly optimistic I think that BioWare is a studio that knows what it's doing and that EA would be silly to mess with it too much because really i mean like look at ea's track record of messing with studios well to be honest this is the thing i'm not so sure about because they've definitely done that in the past but things like yeah the way uh, the the whole you were talking about dice earlier i think i think a lot of the problems with battlefield are dice problems rather than ea problems Mm, i I don't agree the way the fact that it doesn't run very well online has always been the case for them and never been the case for any other games i don't think that's the problem with battlefield though i think it's that pushing for a payment model that doesn't really fit oh maybe yeah that uh, that's a fair point uh but i mean things like you know the th- things like the the complaints about stability and stuff like that that's that's always been true of dice games but it's never really oh. been true of the rest of ea yeah absolutely i mean that's always been a problem with big well with multiplayer pc games yeah. every single time um yeah and you know dice are you can't blame ea for network problems like that i don't think yeah. I'll be very interested to see when Titanfall comes out. I, I've got a feeling Titanfall will run really fucking smoothly. Uh, Did, ha, have we heard from anyone how the beta's running at the moment? Whether it's doing alright? I think they're all just making orgasmic sounds, really. Yeah, the fact that oh, nobody's okay. complaining, I think, is quite a good yeah. sign. Even in beta, whereas, you know, with the Battlefield stuff, there'd be people saying, well, I wanted to play it, but I crashed out. Like, all Although, the time. T- to be fair, they're very they're very um, much in control of the numbers of people accessing the beta at the moment which might be a very different thing when people are buying it and suddenly I'd put money on it going down when it. but the fact that it's 6v6 has surely got to make it a lot easier to handle they've done some really smart stuff with it I think the idea of it being 6v6 is it 6v6? yeah 6v6 6v6 but surrounded by these bots so it feels like a larger battle but it doesn't actually have to do a larger battle I think that could go either way though because you either need I don't know how they're doing it but if it's servers they need a lot of servers Mm. and if it's um, like client hosting then that has its own group of problems which normally come and bite you in the ass that's true although it was interesting that um, although aside from like the client side stuff, which obviously gives people an advantage in like competitive environments, I was thinking when playing CS:GO recently that there was this moment where there was this sort of push and pull between like gamers and devs over whether you should do matchmaking or like server browsers, and uh-huh. 
actually, I think the devs were right. Server browsers are better. <laughs> no, uh, matchmaking oh. is better because pre- mm. press, just pressing the button to play a game in CS:GO is is so easy and so less intimidating. True. But a lot of the time, though, it puts me on a, a wonky server, which yeah. like it's either laggy or it's empty and full of bots or problems. Yeah, that can happen. But I mean, the fact that. Um, I've always, you know, and then the fact that it's really easy to just divide up by game mode and say just do the hard work of scanning for me because yeah. that's, um, yeah. Uh, it's one of those. If you have the infrastructure to make it work properly, then yes, matchmaking is definitely the way to go. It's with slightly wonkier games where it's like, okay, well, you know, being able to pick and choose which servers I avoid and go for can be more of a benefit. Uh, did we answer the question? I think we gave a few different think, answers. Yeah. As I right. want. <laughs> um, the uh, Ben Hall asks, um, "What game series should just be sealed in a vault, never to return?" Uh, and he says, "You can't have Sonic or Fallout." I'm not sure why I want to see seal Fallout. I, <laughs> I think I... it's a joke, isn't it? Oh no, well, yeah, that is a joke. Yeah, I just failed at that. <laughs> <laughs> game um, series to oh. put into a vault. Sonic would be the obvious one because I mean, let's be honest. At this point, Sonic, like, proportionally. <laughs> It's probably yeah. one of the worst game series ever. Does, yes, yeah. you are correct, but for some reason I have a soft spot in my heart for Shadow the Hedgehog. <laughs> and I'm really embarrassed by that fact, but I love Shadow the Hedgehog. I'd put Borderlands in there. Really? That's really? Yeah. Fucking oh. hate Borderlands. So I, I couldn't do that because that would cost me the uh, the Tiny Tina DLC that was the D&D themed one, which is one of my favourite things ever. I started playing Borderlands 2 again recently, with mostly partly with the aim of playing that, um, and I've really enjoyed it. I, think, I don't like the first game that much. I think it is... Yeah, it, it is like all your guns are stat sticks and they don't feel different and the humour isn't as good. The second mm. game is a lot better. Mm, no, hated that too. <laughs> okay, um, well you do hate fun. Um, I do, I, I'm going to put Bioshock in there as well. Yeah, that's a fair because thing. let's just end it. It's had a good run. Yeah, but... no, that, I think that's a really good point because for because the way that it, it's it's loosely a series, but the fact that Infinite is Bioshock is leads to a lot of the problems in Infinite. I think mm. that it's it's married to this model, like the whole joke about you scavenging around in bins. No one made jokes about it in regular Bioshock because it made sense. Yeah, in, yeah. in this ruined undersea kingdom, it doesn't make sense. On in, in Cloud City, full of actual people, they're taking a, a game a game structure that was made for a weird dystopia and put it in a populated place, and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even like the criticism about the the twist that happens, which I won't talk about. Uh, I had it spoiled for me, but um, other people don't necessarily. Uh, the fact that there is a twist feels like they're doing that. And it, the particular type of twist that it is, it's kind of the same one they've done three times now. Yeah. And yeah. Have you you've not finished Bioshock One yet? Have you? No. Oh my god. <laughs> but but you have finished Infinite. No, I just. Oh okay. I, I, I thought I, you were going to say it for me. So okay. I know what happens in Infinite. The thought that you might have finished Infinite but not One had yeah. me very upset for a moment there. <laughs> yeah, I know the um. Yeah, it kind of feels like they're beholden to doing the same thing over and over, and just that is a really good check. Cause it, um, or, or even just shock, yeah. because they're all also coming from System Shock, all of yeah. the things. Uh, I, I have possibly an unpopular answer to this, but I have a reason for it, and I think it's a good reason. Mm. The game series that should be sealed into a vault never to return, mm. Half-Life. 
Oof. And my there reasoning. Stop people, oh, stop, stop people fucking talking about it. <laughs> this is exactly my reason: is that if we seal Half Life away in a vault, never to return, people can stop asking about Half Life Three already. Because no, I agree. I am tired of the Half Life Three questions. I would rather just say, look, we are putting Half Life away in a vault. Half Life is never coming back. There is never going to be another Half Life game. Yeah. And people can stop questioning when it's going to come. To be honest, yeah, I'd, I'd rather see Valve experiment with more portals and more Left 4 Deads and more new ideas along those fronts. Yeah, I yeah. think there's a point as well in that I don't think the Source Engine is very good anymore. And even if they do, you know, they'll do a new Source Engine, fine, but it's still going to feel very Source... But saying that, it's entirely involved in the Source Engine, so... I guess I'm talking rubbish. But basically, all the Valve shooters feel the same, and I don't think they feel very good. I mean, Counter-Strike's included in this. Um, and, like, they're quite floaty, and, like... Really they, they don't have iron sights, really pisses me off now. Wow, that's going to get you some hate. So, you know, the well, Counter-Strike doesn't have iron sights. Well, yeah, you know, we play. I play Counter-Strike enough for this to not be a deal. It's not an issue. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, it's a weird thing that like, well, Iron Sights has become right? like a trigger word for people who are like against modern shooters. But in like in in the old days, that was a sign that something was really gritty and realistic. Yeah. You know? Well, Daisy has Iron Sights, mm. so sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I would pick probably also controversial uh, World of Warcraft. Um, not because I necessarily dislike the game, but I would like to see what happens to the MMO market if WoW suddenly ceased to exist. Mm. Like, would would people move to a different MMO? Would they fragment along a, a bunch of them? Or would the whole thing just fall apart and people would just stop playing? I'm curious. My my guess would be that they would all disperse out onto various things and then five minutes later there would be WoW 2! It's not <laughs> WoW, but it's close enough and everyone would just swerve back. As soon as they made a new MMO, everyone would come running back, I think. Or they'd I all think... go to those weird dodgy pirate servers that exist. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think yes. I'd like to vault all MMOs <laughs> because there has to be a better way. You were literally you talking about was... playing one earlier. <laughs> I know, but think, right, if we vaulted all of them, <laughs> then when they go to make Guild Wars 3, there's nothing they can fall back on. They can't think, oh, we can't get the combat quite right, but that's okay because all these other things do it. They've got to, they've got to fix it. But it doesn't doesn't putting all the MMOs in it, does that just putting all the MMOs in the vault stop there from ever being MMOs again, which would stop your Guild Wars three? Mm, no, it's a weird like it's a time cop thing. It's okay. But surely that's like the first person to put one out wins. <laughs> yeah. It's it's back to the future time travel. It's uh, I, I would like to announce that the game is being changed to M- an, an MMO just to you know, <laughs> I will have all of the market. Um. Um, Ivory Tusk says uh, I have recently through mysterious circumstances acquired three uh, through five of all the civilizations where should I start uh, I guess it's referring to the humble Sid Meier bundle which has civilization three four five and the DLC for five on it mm. um, which is a pretty good deal and I... will still be just about going when you hear this so, I think so my that's... understanding is just play the five DLC right um yeah, it's, I don't know, I, I haven't played them. Uh, I asked a similar question. I know there was a bit of a schism over 4 and 5, but yeah. um, a lot of people think that... Uh, but the feedback I got from people was that um, if you've got the DLC, then most of people's issues with 5 are fixed. Right. Exactly. If you play through 5 with the DLC, I think that 
like the only reason to play three or four is either if you're nostalgic for either of them or if you're like oh i haven't played any of them maybe i'll play through them in order and sort of see how the series grows or something but which isn't a great idea with civilization no but civ 5 with all the dlc my favorite of the civs so so basically how much you put into that bundle if you put put in like 10 or 15 then go for five if you uh if you decided to put in a dollar then (laughs) (laughs) then you're probably best off with uh um but yeah then you're probably best off with civilization 4 there's really no reason at all to play civilization 3 um though i have i still do have a friend who still plays civilization 4 and not much else um, he's just he's never felt the need to upgrade it it's, it, it's good enough for him I, I very much mi- wish that I loved a game that much that it was like yeah this can be my one game I'm going to play for years <laughs> I, I must don't, be so I can't boring though mm. how do people do that I don't know have you seen the thing about the guy who played Civilization for so long that he got left with a post-apocalyptic wasteland yeah I did that was pretty awesome but then like somebody fixed it I think someone Why eventually, not? yeah. He, well, he put the save file up to see if because he yeah. he thought the world was basically stuck in an infinite loop, and someone did, uh, a few people did figure out how to beat it. Yeah, but it's it's spawned its whole like little community now. <laughs> like it's got like a subreddit, and people do art of the various factions and things. Oh wow, yeah. awesome. which is pretty cool. Because right. it's got. Let me show you that you link that. Yeah, sure. well, because it had gone so crazy that like the world, the big factions were like neo Vikings and stuff like that. <laughs> Exactly. My goodness. Um, okay, uh, Dave Turner asks, open-ended Valentine's theme question for all panellists, what is the best video game for couples? Dark Souls. <laughs> 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 this might explain why you're on this podcast. Well, <laughs> um, be- best best one for couples, like for, for me and my partner, Gone Home. Mm. We had a we had a very sweet romantic time playing through Gone Home, and we were all like, "Oh, the story's so sweet," and we got very sort of lovey-dovey about it. So, Gone Home. Uh, it's interesting. Um, maybe Portal. Um, in that it's it's got a very sort of trust-based co-op mode where you could very easily turn portals off from under each other, and you've got to trust the other person not to. Mm. Uh, I, I like that answer. Mm. Um, I have one. If you're at if you're in a couple and you don't want to be in a couple anymore, <laughs> which is the co-op mode for Octodad. <laughs> that, that is a great way to break up a couple that you are in and don't want to be in. It's my wife pretty much hates all video games, really. Like she plays the SNES sometimes, but she's really good at Super Mario for that. And that's pretty much the only, th- that, um, like the old Mario Kart is the only thing she'll play, but she's really competitive at Mario Kart. So when I beat her, she gets in a strop and she's really good at the old Mario. So he's really boring playing with her. So I don't have an answer. <laughs> uh, there's probably some very good, like two player board or card games. Um, although they're, they're all, all, all the two player ones tend to be super competitive. You don't really want to be playing Netrunner. <laughs> mm. You can play Arkham Horror. That's a nice co-op, I guess. Um, it's not very really it... romantic. Ib and Ob is quite a nice one to oh, do yeah, with someone that's... else. Um, it's it's a very nice sort of competitive, uh, not competitive, uh, cooperative multiplayer game where you're just sort of helping each other get over platforms and things. It's lovely. Yeah, I saw oh, that it... in last year's IGF. I think it's the one where you're you're like on opposite sides of the the, the world. The f- like one of you is reverse gravity. Yeah, there's a floor in the middle of the screen horizontally across, and one of you's on top of it, and one's below it. And then there are these portals you can use to switch sides and. 
it's really nice. I, I just thought of a good answer, actually. Um, Button. Do you remember playing that, Tom? <laughs> yes, I remember playing Button. Button's a really good game to play with your significant other. It's really funny. You'll get bruised, but it's great. Yeah, Button is um, basically you... I think we might still have the YouTube video of us playing it, which is like you you all like stand several feet away from the computer and it will tell you to do something like put your hand on your head or spin around or do a dance. And then it will suddenly say, press your button! And you all have to, each, each person has assigned a button and they have to run up and they have to dash to be the first to hit it. Or they might say, don't press your button, in which case you have to dash forward and cop your hands over it and stop someone else from hitting it. Um, and it basically becomes a fight. <laughs> yeah. But I suppose it could become a sexy fight. <laughs> On, on the topic of games that could quite easily become nice, sexy fights, Huggatron with uh, as a couple could be lovely. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. What's the hug- game where it's like, hey, we're going to encourage you to just hug each other for a while. The last one is, uh, but yeah, the last question is not a question, but could you talk about Kerbal Space Program from Cube 2D? Um, I haven't watching a video for Huggatron. But... <laughs> <laughs> Did, did, did you not like know what re- Huggatron was? No, it's like a really aggressive hugging game. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a game about trying to escape from various types of hugs. Isn't that wrestling? Yes. It has its problems. Like, I, I, I first, it's like one I first, person's really uh, desperate for a hug and the other person really doesn't want one. It's really weird. I, I first played it in a room of other people who I did not know, and that was a bit of an uncomfortable situation to play it in. But I could, if you were playing it with someone you knew really well, I could see that being a really nice game. Wow. I mean, you're not trying to escape a hug you don't want. <laughs> oh, wait. Sorry, hang on. Are you, is, are you looking at like, the first uh, video on the Tumblr? Is that Dan uh, Pierce? Yes. That is Dan Pierce, <laughs> yeah. I think. I know there is a video of Dan Pierce. Yeah. Oh, that was really weird. A couple Dan is Louis P. <laughs> uh, anyway, did we have a question? I forgot. Did we have a question we were meant to be asked? Uh, sorry, yeah, the next one was just uh, um, asking us to talk about Kerbal Space Program, which I haven't played in a little while, but I keep meaning to go back to ever since they added science. Because mm. that seemed I... to give me a real direction and a reason to have like space stations and stuff that I wanted to build, but there wasn't really a point to. It's so hard that game. It is so complicated. It it is horrible. Like I sat watching YouTube videos of people landing on the moon and was like, okay, well, I don't know what you're doing. How do I how do I make things happen? Yeah, I can't. Can I just I, stick bigger rockets on it, please? Yeah. I have actually That's, made it to the moon, which but it was it's really hard. I, I managed to crash into the moon. Yeah, Which I've crashed was... into the moon. The thing <laughs> you need landed. to do is basically is is the landing process, which is this weird sort of careful tapering off of your speed whilst pointing sort of diagonally down towards the ground. Yeah. And struts. Struts are the secret weapon of like a couple space travel because if you put giant rockets on something you don't put any struts on, it will shake itself apart. Yeah. I thought that was obvious, Tom. <laughs> so, Come on. Um... I've taken a few rockets to pieces, or sent them like just spinning around randomly. I, so I, I love building rockets and watching them just fail miserably. And that that stage of it is like perfect. I played with that for like a week, and it was amazing. But then, like, you want to do the next bit, and that oh god, and then you start looking it up how to do it, and it's like physics. And oh, I don't have time. I do, yeah. Um, I do kind of love how everything is this kind of slightly exaggerated, clumsy you know, slapstick 
uh, landing because like the first time I landed a rover on the moon, I like got a landing module on there, and I just like used the decoupler to uh, let it go, but because that was right next to the crowd, it just like fired the rover <laughs> right down, like uh-huh. smashed one of the wheels, and it just like awkwardly limps down the surface. <laughs> As the, the stroke of genius that makes all of that work, though, is the fact you can see your Kerbals when this is all happening. <laughs> like, the first time I did, a, I did a rocket that just went spiraling around sideways, and I just watched my Kerbals spin like they were in a washing machine. I was like, yep, I don't care if I ever get anywhere. This is amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. I think that, that is really what makes the game work. Like, if it was a really dry... Because it, it is an incredibly yeah. clever rocket simulator. But if it was really dry about it, it didn't have that sense of humour, I don't think it would caught on with people quite like it did. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, although NASA would still be playing. Did you, know, did you see that NASA are making a mission pack for uh, Kerbal Space Program? Yeah. Yes. That's excellent. <laughs> I was going to mention that. I love the fact that it's an actual educational tool that NASA are like yeah that's you can learn things from this they're gonna yeah it's basically just gonna be I think it's they've got this mission to land on an asteroid in 2020 or something and they're gonna replicate that so you can try it before probably before they do uh in Kerbal Space Program I'm looking forward to giving that a go um so yeah you know I yes Kerbal Space Program is great and um I probably yeah it's still an early access but I probably recommend picking it up now it's because i think with the campaign it has slightly more structure than it used to and it's still fun like there's a few early access games that they put them on there before the core fun is in there but couple space program it isn't one of them um oh um laura you just started a new podcast didn't you yes i did the geek night in mm. which I, I think we've done we've done one episode mm. Cool. Uh, yeah, that's uh, general geeky stuff. Cause, uh, just general geeky stuff. What did we talk about? We talked about where in the world is Carmen San Diego and Marvel Comics and various other things that I can't think of right now. We talked about cosplay for a while. Mm. Lots of interesting things and slightly geeky things. Um, cool. Well, we'll see everyone next week when, uh, um, when we'll, uh, hopefully we'll have some of the others back. Uh, everyone's a bit busy. I can't think why. I scheduled this on Valentine's <laughs> Day, and I just I didn't even realise. <laughs> that's fine. Like, just... eh, 14th of February, that's fine. Nothing special happens then. Just be glad I turned up so it wasn't just a romantic Valentine's Day podcast between the two of you. Yeah, that's, that's for the best. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye.